Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Hey, welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm New. If you fill out that short form online as a way of saying thank you, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. Well, Easter is only a few weeks away. If you don't have a place to attend Easter Sunday and you're local here to the Clemson Seneca area, let me personally invite you uh, to come join us on Easter, okay? Easter Sunday is April 9th this year, and our service will start at 10 a.m. We will have a great experience for your kids, a place for you to take some great, sharp Easter family pictures, and it's just going to be a great day all the way around here at Radiant Church as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. I hope you will join us on Easter Sunday. Now, in the lead up to Easter, we are walking through some pivotal moments during the final week that Jesus spent on this earth. It's a week known as the Passion Week. We started with what's called the Triumphal Entry a few weeks ago, and it takes place on Palm Sunday. Jesus enters Jerusalem, and there's a lot of praise and celebration taking, you know, taking place, and we learn that God wants us to worship Him with everything that we have, our emotion, our attention, our abilities even, okay? And then the next week, uh, we moved to, to Monday. That was Sunday, the triumphal entry. Monday, uh, the big event there was him clearing the temple. And the issue wasn't, you know, buying and selling in the temple. The issue really was where it was taking place. And that was in the court of the Gentiles. The Jewish leadership was preventing Gentiles from worshiping God question for us today. Are we doing the same? You know, do we have barriers that we have set up that are preventing people from coming to know the Lord? And if so, we need to clear those barriers out and we need to recognize that we are carriers of God's presence. You know, it's not confined to a temple. It's with us. And so open up the house, make Christ accessible in your life so that others too can come to know God. There are a few different highlights that we could pull from from Tuesday, um, but the one that I want to focus on here today is Jesus' words regarding the end. He has an awful lot to say about the end of the world, and we cannot cover all of it today, okay? Well, what I want to do quickly, though, is just refer you to our Daniel series that we covered last year, particularly the last several messages. We did a much longer take and look on the end times in those messages, okay? Now, a lot of people have said, you know, Jesus is coming back over the years. And, and I think like every generation has thought that their generation would be the one, right, to usher in the return of Christ. And, and while there's no denying we are getting closer, we, we have to examine the words of Jesus and Daniel and John and other scripture with caution. You, you can want something to be true so badly that you'll overlook details or kind of smudge things a little bit just enough to point you to the direction that you want to go in. And so a lot of folks have done that when it comes to the end times, and I'm committed to teaching you as objectively as possible this material. What gets Jesus kind of going down this rabbit hole um, is that his disciples are, are passing by the temple and they're in awe of the entire temple compound. There's a rabbinic saying from the first century which states, he who hasn't seen the temple of Herod has never really seen a beautiful building. So the splendor of the temple is very eye-catching, even to the disciples. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to kind of rain on their parade <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, look at Matthew 24, verse number one. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, 
his disciples pointed out to him all the various temple buildings. But he responded, Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one will be left on top of another. And then later, Jesus sat down on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples came to him privately, and they said, Tell us, when will all of this happen? Like, what sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Now, that is the million-dollar question. You know, when will all this happen? The disciples believed, as many others did in the first century uh, in, in Israel, the destruction of the temple would coincide with the end of the world and the setting up of God's kingdom. Now, isn't it interesting how so many folks in our world today, they're asking the same kinds of questions, right? You know, you don't have to be a follower of Christ to know that something isn't right. Like, it just feels like we're careening towards something, and that something isn't good. Like, we're marching towards something, and we're not sure what it is. It, it, is it the end? And if it is, how, how do we know? Like, what are the signs that we're approaching the end? And so Jesus is going to, to get to what the signs are in a moment. But before he does, he addresses the temple. Remember, the prevailing thought in the end, uh, in Jewish thought in the first century, was that at the end of the world, the temple would be destroyed. Like, there, there's a, there, the two were linked together. And so he makes a statement about the temple's destruction, but then he moves to signs that accompany the end. In fact, he won't even come back to the temple until we get to verse 15. But for our purposes today, we're not going to address the destruction of the temple or Jerusalem. We're going to stay in our lane here and focus on signs of the end. So he continues in verse number four. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, and they'll deceive many people. And you'll hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. These are the signs of the end. So scripture is filled with many different passages pointing to different things concerning the end. But Jesus' words in this passage offer a really good summation of what to look for. In fact, it almost seems too general, too simple, doesn't it? And I want you to understand something before we kind of walk through this passage. What Christians call the last days, they've been happening since the moment that Christ ascended back into heaven after his resurrection. We've been in the last days for a couple thousand years. So keep a pen right here in that thought, because we're going to come back to it here in just a moment, okay? Now, the main point, and I want you to get this here, because this is really important, that Christ is trying to make to his followers is not to be misled. That's the most important part of this passage, and it's the very first thing he states. Jesus isn't giving these signs as a way to forecast the future. He's giving them to his, his, his followers to, to endure what's coming, to help them focus on their care and their conduct. That's where he's at here, uh, the care and conduct of Christians in the last days. He wants them to make sure they are not misled, and with good reason. His warning addresses others who, who are going to come claiming to be him. That's largely concerning a Jewish audience. You know, a lot of folks in that day claim to be the Messiah. But you see it play out today, too. You know, um, you don't have folks claiming to be a savior per se, but you have folks misleading people left and right. 
every institution we have in America today, including the church, uh, it, it's corrupted. Like, I hate to say that, but it, but it is. And we have guys getting up right now in church, like the big C church, okay? Teaching the Word of God, who are saying things that are completely false and contradictory to who God is. And I'm not talking about petty little theological arguments. I'm talking about Jesus being the divine Son of God, okay? It's happening, and people are being misled. The very first thing that Christ warns against is not to be misled. So, so what's on the sign? What's the perpetual threat of and the engagement of world conflict? You know, Europe's entire history is soaked in warfare. America's manifest destiny, it's steeped in conflict. Native tribes engaged in warfare in Africa, the conquistadors stormed across South America. The Middle East has never had a moment's peace. Empires rose of bloody conquest in South Asia. Like right now, we are on the verge of Ukraine <laughs> spilling into another worldwide conflict. China is threatening Taiwan. Iran, by all reports as of, as of this teaching, um, they're within weeks of reaching 90% enrichment of uranium, which is the point of no return for creating a nuke. So if you're, if you're following what's happening in the world right now, it's a little wild, okay? And I love what Christ says. He tells his followers, yeah, all that's going to happen, but don't panic. Why? Because as followers of Jesus, we know that God is in control. His purposes will be achieved regardless. Now, that sounds really good, but do you believe it? Because I think sometimes we're all guilty of putting our faith in politics or in a leader or a movement to save us. You know, it's like, well, if we elect this guy in office, he can get this party over here. We can get behind them. Like, we'll be good. It won't matter who's in office. It won't matter what party's in power. God has ordained the number of days in this world, and he's the author of history, right? He has set people in positions of authority and power who will play right into his plan. He is in complete and utter control of everything which happens, and everything will move according to his will and his plan. And by the way, that is our advantage. That's our advantage. Others may panic and mourn and grieve for how things are going. And, you know, look, I'm not saying we don't. Like, my heart breaks for our country, where we find our but I'm not a part of this world. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven first, right? And no matter what comes my way, I know who has everything playing out according to plan. And I can take comfort knowing that God has got this. Can you say the same? Don't panic. All this conflict, all the craziness, all the stuff happening overseas, happening domestically, it's not the end, it's just a sign. There's more. Creation itself is, is going to gear up. We call it climate change today. God calls it, I'm getting ready. <laughs> okay? I'm not worried about climate change or weather systems. You know why? Because I know that God is in control, but also because I know that as we get closer to the end, creation will long for it. Listen to what Paul says about creation, longing to be free to, you know, for the return of its creation. Creator. Look at Romans 8 19. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, creation was subjected to God's curse. Speaking of the, the fall and sin here. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. You know what that tells me? Earthquakes are going to keep getting stronger. Storms are going to keep growing in intensity. The droughts are going to continue to be more extreme. The weather patterns will keep changing. Creation is waiting. It's longing. It is tired of being stuck under the thumb of the curse of sin. And as we get closer to the end, you can expect creation to get more and more intense. And still, this isn't the end. 
the Jewish thought was that the world would find itself in trouble on the largest scale possible prior to the arrival of the Messiah. All these words that Jesus is speaking, you know, they make sense to his followers because they've actually heard it their entire lives. In fact, rabbis even use the exact phrase that, that Christ uses to describe the world's troubles just prior to the Messiah's arrival. They, they would use the phrase birth pains. But Christ is already here. These aren't signs of the Messiah's coming. He's already come. These are signs of the Messiah's return. So real talk here for, for a minute, all right? I, got, I, I love kids. Uh, but but I, I would never have them. <laughs> I would never do it. I thank God that I, I was physically made a man, okay? Shout out to all the moms out there who brought kids into the world. There's no way I would ever want to trade places with you. Uh, so while I haven't gone into labor, obviously. I've been with my wife when she has, and there is something about those contractions, you know? Like you start having them weeks out from, from childbirth. They're called Braxton Hicks. And as you get closer to that big day, those contractions are shorter, and they become more intense. And Eventually, like you can't handle it. You got to get the shot. <laughs> if you've been in the like, you know what I'm talking about. You've been in the room. The shot is that crazy big needle getting stuck in your spouse's spine. Uh, you need some relief, right? Because those contractions are just insane. But soon that little baby makes his or her way into the world, and you forget about the pain, at least for the moment, and you celebrate life and miracles and, and, and everything else. It isn't just the intensity of creation and conflict that ramps up as we get near the end, okay? The beginning of birth pains, right? So something else happens too. Look at verse number nine. Then you will be arrested. These are believers here. Persecuted and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Again, what is the first warning that Christ gives? It's the most important one. Don't be misled, right? Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures, I love this, to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world, so that all the nations will hear it. And then the end will come. If you have a physical Bible, you might want to circle Matthew 24, 9, because this is where a big shift takes place. We're moving now from a general, here's signs of the end, that his disciples would have expected, because that's what they were taught, to the suffering of believers. And here is where we separate, man, the men from the boys. Like, this is the proving ground. This is the put up or shut up. This is the division between those who are real in their faith and those who are just pretenders. This, this is it right here. The suffering that Jesus is speaking about is very specific for believers. Followers of Christ are going to be arrested, hated, killed, not because of what they have done, this is important, but because of who they are. And you say, well, yeah, we've had stories like that in Asia and Africa, you know. Oh, no, 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 no. You think it's overseas? Oh, my goodness. You must have missed what's happening in Canada where pastors are being arrested for feeding the homeless because the city's not doing it during COVID lockdown. And I don't mean 2020 COVID, I mean as late as last year. Maybe you missed the pastor who found himself in jail in the UK for refusing to change his stance on what God's Word teaches about sexuality. Uh, maybe you missed the Christian man who had an FBI SWAT team break down the door of his, of his house and arrest him for protesting peacefully and within legal limits of the law outside of an abortion clinic in Pennsylvania. Did you miss all that kind of stuff? Because it's happening here in the West. I'm telling you, trouble is coming. Suffering is coming. 
what the Western church thought was a second or third world issue with missions is eventually going to become a first world issue. And when the suffering ratchets up, there's only two options available to you. You can either endure and persevere to the end, or you can walk away. Matthew uh, 24, verses 10 through 12, is a section not quite found anywhere else in Scripture. We get our word scandal from the Greek word skandaliso, which is what your English Bible translates to as betray here in this passage. And the idea is that Christians will get caught in situations. This is the scandal part, right? Where their faith will be the accusation used against them. You can't pin them on a crime. You can't fault them, right? They disagree with you because their faith in Christ is so real and so genuine and so rude. It will not allow them to go over the cliff with the rest of the world. They're not conforming. So the only thing that can pin them is their faith. It's what happened to Daniel, right? And that's what will be used to persecute and even kill believers as we get closer to the end worldwide. When the fire gets hot, you, you, you want to get out, right? But a follower of Jesus in the same vein as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they take that stance. They say, I, I, I'm not getting out. I'm getting in. If God saves me, great. And if he doesn't, that's okay too. I'm not bending the knee. My faith is in Christ and Christ alone. And here's where you really know what you're made of. Because there'll be many, and Christ says it as much, who were thought of as followers of Jesus that choose in that moment when it's hot and heavy to get out. And in doing so, they'll betray and hand over other believers whose faith is firm. And you say, well, pastor, I would never do that. We know it's, it's one thing if it's, if it's just you, but what about your family? If you knew standing firm in your faith would get you killed, your wife sent in a prison camp, and your kids sold into human trafficking, would you still stick by Christ? That's a reality, by the way, for believers in many nations today. And it's one which very well could be headed this way here in the West. You see, it's not as easy as you think. It, it, it makes me think of, in fact, of a lot of the Germans and folks who hid Jews during the Holocaust. They knew they were taking a risk. They knew it meant the deaths of themselves, their families, you know, if they were found out, but they could not stand by and watch genocide be carried out against an entire group of people. Their faith would not allow it. The suffering of believers in the end is going to be great, unlike anything we have seen. Christ says that it's going to be everywhere, and the love of many is going to grow cold. It's not that humanity is running out, you know, of, of running around being completely lawless in a legal sense, but rather what he's pointing to is an absence of absolutes. There's no absolute truth, no rule of law, no cultural norm. Does that sound like the world we're in today? You know, like when love grows cold, people are motivated by selfish concerns and no regards for others or the rules that govern creation itself. You know, I'm telling you, man, this is us right now. We have no absolutes in hard sciences and tech and ethics and morality. It feels like the time of the judges right now where everybody did what was right in their own eyes. We're seeing it play out today. And in spite of the suffering, Jesus says, if you endure to the end, you'll be saved. Now, here's what you need to know about saving faith. Salvation is not a firm declaration, though declaring your faith is important. You know, it's, it's also not well-intentioned, you know, reset to your life. That's important, too. Saving faith is all about endurance. The Greek word that Jesus uses for endurance here is hupomeneo, and it's the idea of clinging to something without letting go, the way a crab would cling to something with its claw. Christians are able to sustain the suffering in the end if they cling to their faith in Christ in spite of all they experience. So we've got the signs, we've heard about the suffering, but the end hasn't come yet. 
You know, for all the prognosticating people do, trying to figure out when the end will be, when Christ will come back, it's amazing how so many have ignored, I, I guess, verse 14. And maybe it seems too simple, I don't know, but Christ simply states this. Look at Matthew 24, 14 again. And the good news about the kingdom, this is the gospel, will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it, and then the end will come. When will the end come? When all the world has had the opportunity to hear about Jesus. Right now, we have about 7.93 billion people on the planet. 3.37 billion are what we would consider unreached, meaning they have not heard about Jesus. That is 43% of the world's population. In the U.S. alone, we have 98 unreached people groups. A people group is an ethnic group, okay? The first century church, they experienced the largest exponential growth in church history, but they lacked all the resources we have today at our disposal. We, we, we have finances and technology and healthcare. We have scriptures translated into many native languages, which is still an ongoing process, by the way, so that every people group can have the Bible in their language. You would think that we'd be crushing it, you know, because we're in the 21st century, but we seem to be missing it a little bit, right? What are we missing? Well, I think we're missing a faithful dependence on God's Spirit. Our resources and advancements are tools for the Holy Spirit to use, but they cannot replace Him. Maybe on a large scale, like a big C scale here, the church has forgotten that. But the first century church had something else that we lack, at least here in the West. They had intense suffering. The context of their growth and every other massive spiritual movement has always taken place during times of great suffering. Now, now why is that? I think it's because when we're the least comfortable with the world, we are most dramatically able to proclaim the kingdom of God. What do all the martyrs, those are believers who gave their lives for Christ, what do they have in common? They had an unshakable faith. It wasn't fake. It wasn't real. It was, genu it, it was genuine. It, it, it was a part of them. You know, they, they couldn't separate themselves from Christ. When so many folks walked away from the faith, they stood firm. They endured to the end. Man, I, I have so much more I want to give to you today. I, I just, I'll save it for another time. I'm just scratching the surface. I've already gone longer than we typically would go. But understand this, man. The world is heading towards the end. The signs are present. They're pointing in that direction. The suffering for followers of Christ has always existed, but, but there have always been pockets in the world where believers could live comfortably. And I don't know if that's going to be the case going forward, even in my own lifetime. I think we're going to see more and more persecution, even among the West, because we're getting closer and closer to the return of Jesus. So my question to you today is simply this. Are you ready? What kind of follower are you? Would you be able to resist the temptation to cut and run when the suffering gets turned up? Is your faith genuine? Do you really belong to Christ? Are you pursuing Him with all that you have? Or is your faith built on association, meaning you believe because you're part of a church community, or your family has always had faith, or you just believe that God exists? Can I just tell you that as a, as a follower of Christ today, uh, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all in because He's changed my life. I could have gone one way, but Jesus found me, and, and He changed me. I've seen His power move. I've lived in His forgiveness. Man, you can't take that from me. You can't break that in me. I know too much now, man. Like, I'm all in. So what about you? If you can't say for sure that you have that kind of faith today, I want to pray for you and help you get started in the right direction. I'm going to say a prayer. 
that I want you to say with me in your own words. And it doesn't have to be out loud or anything like that, but it's going to go something like this, okay? Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me for the wrong that I've done. Jesus, I, I admit today that, that, that I need a Savior in my life. I'm asking you to come in and to save me. Man, give me a clean slate. Wipe my heart clean of all the things I've done wrong. I know I haven't measured up to your standards, Lord. So I'm praying today. I'm asking today, God, will you forgive me for the sin that I've done? Jesus, come save me. And from this day forward, I'm, I'm not going to commit to myself. Well, I'm going to commit to following you. I'm not going to call the shots. I'm not going to do things my way. I've tried it. It hasn't worked. And so, Lord, what I'm doing today, I'm asking you to be the Lord of my life. You direct me. You guide me. You lead me. And I promise, Lord, I'm committing myself. I'm going to follow after you today. Be my Savior and be my Lord. Father, for those who are Christians today, help us to live with anticipation of the end, knowing that time is short, knowing we're getting closer and closer to your return. And we'd be about your business, God, winning folks to you, doing all that we can to make sure all the world hears about the end. Father, I pray that as suffering begins to increase in intensity, as we kind of experience some troubles and trials that we haven't seen quite before here in America or Canada or Europe, Lord, I pray that you will help believers to stay strong. May we not have a faith that's that's built on, 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 on straw and hay, but a faith that's built on a solid rock that is Christ Jesus. Help us to withstand, uh, God, the temptation to cut and run, to stand firm in our faith, even in the midst of suffering and trouble. But may we endure until the end. We are looking forward to your return where there'll be no more tears, no more sadness, God, no more heartbreak, but instead life and freedom for all eternity in your kingdom. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.